Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, good morning. What a beautiful, beautiful morning out there. You know, one of the things we're going to be talking about here is going to be the seasons and how off-kilter they seem to be. And I, you know, I'm not going to tell you that there's global warming or that there's anything else going on, except this year, the seasons seem to shift. You know, we got a lot of cold weather early in the summer. It was cold, cool spring till almost the end of June. And I can tell you from an outdoorsman's perspective that uh, things were late. The fish movements were late. The animal movements were late. The... uh, the bait fish spawned at different times. Then all of a sudden, July and August got super hot and continued on, and we're just now getting fall seasonal weather, and we're late on the other end. Now fall is coming late, and it's the same thing in reverse, only the opposite. So we're going to talk a lot about that over the next couple weeks, And because if you had a playbook that you used seasonally for fishing and hunting, you got to take a step back and say, is that playbook really in play right now? And we're going to talk a lot about that. In addition, later on in the second hour, we're going to be joined by uh, the author of Trout, uh, the editor of Trout Magazine and uh, editor-at-large for Field and Stream, Colorado's own Kirk Dieter will join us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about shotgunning and sighting in your rifles, how important that is before you go out on that rifle season. We just got a lot of stuff going on today, so let's go right to the phones now. And I want to see if this this gentleman agrees with me because he spends a lot of time both on the water and in the field. And that's uh, Austin Parr from Discount Tackle. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Well, do you, what do you think about my assessment coming into the opening of the show here? Everything has been different for me, at least. So you know, I spend a lot of time on Front Range Lakes, being Chatfield and Cherry Creek, and one of those two lakes was slightly behind, but largely on schedule being Cherry Creek. But the secondary lake in Chatfield has been entirely different. And, and that late cold spring, in my opinion, really affected the bait fish production out there. And, you know, you and I had talked about it before, but the, the bait fish are largely non-existent out there right now. And, um, you know, it's it's been very different in comparison. You know, I'm not usually uh, used to fishing a, a jig and a crawler on the, the second week of September and having a lot of success for walleyes. Uh, you're absolutely right. We're going to get back to the fishing. Let's talk a little bit, too, about what you're seeing in the field. You're an avid, avid upland game hunter. Uh, dove season, usually we're worried that last weekend in August that we're going to have a freeze and move those birds out. But it must have been a different experience out there this year. It's a great season this year, actually. So, you know, it started off really strong and, and had multiple weeks of, of plenty of birds for full limits. So, uh, you know, we were out there this past week on Tuesday, and although there were still a lot of birds, uh, you know, it had gotten just cold enough that it's pushed a lot of those birds out. Um, so, you know, the, the doves, unless we get another push for from some northern birds, uh, you know, a lot of that is, in my opinion, kind of done. I mean, there's enough to still potentially go out there and, and, and take a peek. Uh, but, you know, it's just not what it was, obviously, for the first week. But it, it lasted a lot longer than it normally would. Well, were you hunting uh, just east or were you southeast? Because southeast usually hangs on a little longer. Yep, so that was that was basically straight out I-70, um, you know, where I was hunting uh, with some of the, the walk and access type properties. And the southeast part of Colorado, I haven't been down there and in uh, you know since the first week of season, and I imagine that that uh, there's still quite a few birds that are down in there. 
Uh, but east, you know, a lot of those birds had, had started to push. And, you know, there were still some areas with some some good birds. And just a quick mention out there as well, definitely ran into a couple of prairie rattlesnakes out there around some of those abandoned properties. So just keep an eye out for those if anyone's going out there and, and doing any Maybe warm weather pheasant hunting coming up here. We'll see what happens there, but definitely dove hunting. So Well, yeah, and not only for you, but it's so important for your dogs. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely is very interesting, and it was it, we ran into two of them. Um, and Actually, one of my buddies almost got got bit out there in some of the uh, the high grass. So, you know, rather than keeping your, your eyes to the sky all the time, definitely keeping, uh, you know, your ears out for them and, and your eyes out for them. They camouflage so well, but, uh, you know, just they're, they are out there. So, you know, people, I hadn't run into them, run into them for quite some time and, and ran into two in one day. So just something to, to keep, uh, keep in the back of everyone's mind. Well, and they're not going to come and look for you to attack. They're going to, but if you happen to get too close or almost step on one and, you know, and we, we always tell people to stay on trails, which is almost impossible when you're hunting. You have to be in the yeah, field. Uh, so you have to around those. Yeah, I mean those walk and access properties. You know, you're you're going into those those areas. You know, you're in the old abandoned homesteads and not in them, but in and around them, and um, you know, around downed uh, wood and and equipment and and those those snakes are all around there eating. You know, all your different rodents and stuff, and it definitely is uh, something to keep in mind because we nearly stepped on two of them, and that just goes to show you how many of them are actually there. Oh, you're absolutely right. Before we move on to fishing, I want to spend quite a bit of time on that. We may take a little extra time here. Um, what about, are you seeing anything as far as the other upland game, pheasant or quail? I know you're hunting a little bit different habitat, but you're out there out east. You getting any kind of a feel? Seeing some pheasants for sure. Um, you know, what was actually really interesting that we saw this past week, uh, we actually saw a near pheasant chick that was dead on the road. They got hit by a car, but something that you're not normally seeing in the second week or third week of September here, uh, but it was a very small juvenile bird. Um, so all of what everyone's talking about with a late hatch definitely seems to be happening uh, with that as well. I have not run into to very many quail except for in the, the first week down in the southeast portion of Colorado, but uh, out I-70 saw some pheasants on the side of the roads, you know, running, you know, running around and, and in the edge of some of the wheat fields. But, um, you know, not seeing quite the numbers. But granted, as you mentioned, I'm not necessarily pushing those areas that those pheasants might might be sitting in. And just so people know, um, Ed Gorman, the biologist who monitors all that, will be joining us. I think next week, Karen, is Ed joining us? I'll get that exact date, but I think it is next week. And he'll have his crews out monitoring, and he'll be able to tell us because if it is a late brood, you know, the chicks make up about 70% of the harvested birds on any year. So. So we yeah, want we want to be aware of that it might be a better season to hunt late. I I said one more question before we talk fishing, but I have another. You know, did you have much problem with ticks when you were out there? Wood ticks uh, are real. Ticks are really becoming an issue across the country. Yeah, and you know I haven't really run into those a whole lot myself. Uh, you know, hunting a couple of years ago at Jumbo Reservoir, we got into quite a few of those. But I have not seen them out in some of those properties out there. But granted, I'm not necessarily getting up underneath the trees. I'm not sitting down. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm away from where they would be. Whereas if you're turkey hunting and, and sitting down, that is really where you would find a lot more of those ticks, at least in my opinion. And I really don't run into them a lot. You know, I, I do a lot of, of checking the dogs, and, and I don't see them really ever on them. Yeah, but just people be aware. I've written some articles. You can Google the Denver Post and I have a couple articles or Google our podcast and find out about those. Let's move on to fishing, though, because fall fishing is always one of my favorite times of the year for a couple reasons. 
One is it's great fishing, and you start seeing more access to big fish again and more usually more predictable patterns. Another thing is because of what we talked about, a lot of people who are avid anglers are in the field. It's less crowded. Kids are back in school, so you can actually have some of the best fishing of the year and have some areas to yourself. Tell me what you're seeing out there on the fishing side of things. So just as you mentioned, a lot of people are out in the field, and the, the crowds are down even on weekends. You know, I, I have the ability to go out and, and guide, obviously, during the, the week, but I, I have not seen the crowds nearly that you see. But the, the fishing in general has been very, very productive so far, particularly in a lake like Chatfield without the bait fish. The walleye numbers and smallmouth numbers are very strong. But going to a lake that's a little bit more consistent uh, as far as the year is concerned is Perry Creek. And Perry Creek, there's a ton of bait fish out there right now. And the, the bite with blade baits and jigging wraps is just now starting. So the trolling bite has started to slow a little bit, but the, the jigging wrap and blade bait bite is really turning on. And this is the time of year last year when we started to see some of those big fish. We're not quite there yet, but we're right on the cusp. And if we get a couple of these cool nights that it looks like we might be being forecast here in the next couple of, uh, of days even, I think that bite is really going to fire up here quickly, even as, as early as next week. Well, I think you're absolutely right that it doesn't take – too much right now, although the lakes, uh, Ch- Cherry Creek stays pretty consistent. Most of our bodies water, those southeastern things, there's a lot of water in them, even our mountain lakes like Granby. So they're going to cool a little slower, but it's amazing how fast the temperatures will catch up once the weather yep. now is catching up. Uh, I heard you mention the jigging wraps and the blade baits. I know you hate to have to switch to that. You just forced yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of my favorites over the entire course of the year. And, and what's really interesting is that both of those techniques are not really working very well at Chatfield right now. And I've been having to resort back to some of my summertime techniques like jigging a, a crawler. And those fish are sitting so tightly to structure right now that doing anything like pulling a slow death rig or, or running a Lindy rig is not very effective. And typically this time of year, it's not at all. But, but shifting over to a crawler and a jig has been very productive out there if you can find those fish stacked up on structure. Whereas at Cherry Creek, there are so many shad out there that you're just kind of fishing general areas rather than fishing a very specific break that the fish are piled on. So those fish are kind of roaming, and I'll fish the edges of a line. And the nice thing about a jigging wrap is you can position your boat or even on the shore if you're in the right circumstance and make a long cast and, and cover a lot of water all the way along a break line rather than fishing one very specific location. What have you heard about some of the other waters in the state? So shifting up to the mountains a little bit, we actually went sage-grouse hunting yesterday, and although I don't necessarily have a fishing report for you, I can tell you that Green Mountain is about as high as I've ever seen it out there, just to, to mention this for this time of year. But in addition, uh, you're starting to see some spawning runs on some brown trout, uh, you know, and even down toward Blue Mesa, the salmon are really starting to come up there, and I have a lot of people talking about that, and a lot of people have been having uh, a ton of success so far on, on the salmon down at Blue Mesa. But Pueblo, we're also seeing uh, bait fish that aren't quite as heavy as you normally would see, similar to Chatfield, but there are more bait fish down there. And running lead core, some guys are having some success, but starting with that same jigging wrap and blade bait kind of bite. And then those Eastern Plains lakes, they did have good bait fish hatches, and the, the wiper action out at Jackson has been good, although the saw guys and walleyes have been kind of uh, a mystery to figure out where those guys are, are positioning right now. But shifting out toward uh, Sterling and Jumbo even, those have, have both been starting to, to be more productive, although the bite has not really fired up out there yet, just because I think that water temperature is still pretty warm. I mean, at Chatfield, we're, we're still seeing about 70-degree water temperatures in the afternoon. One of the things I'll say about the, the, the northeast part of the state up I-76 is 
I'm not sure when the closing of the boat ramps are, but I'll bet there's a lot of water because a lot of times those you can't get a boat on those this time of the year. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've been on Sterling before right about this same time of year where you are backing down what seems to be forever on that south boat ramp. And although I have not laid eyes on that lake, uh, just because I've seen some of the other lakes out there, I would imagine that the water levels are a lot stronger than they normally would be just due to the precipitation and not having to, to draw that water for irrigation quite as much. Yeah, I think it's going to be. And you know what? You talk about the jigging wrap and the blade bait. Now, it used to be everybody fished those with jigging spoons. And don't be afraid to use jigging spoons, too. I've written articles for in fishermen about using jigging spoons. And that's really used to be the way everybody went after it till the word kind of leaked out about the jigging wraps. Blade baits were kind of always there with the jigging spoons, but everybody kind of kept it under their hat more than they should have. Finally, it took a while for the jigging wraps to leak out, and a lot of pros were using it in tournaments. And finally, it caught on with the general public. But don't be afraid to go out with spoons, too. A, a good uh, jigging spoon is a tremendous uh, reaction bait. Well, and I think that that comment right there really hits the nail on the head a lot of times when you're fishing is the fact that you can really get stuck into fishing confidence baits. And that's a good way to go, obviously. But, you know, especially if you're having a time when those fish are really biting, shifting to something different and and trying to to work a different pattern can be really productive. And that's really where I got a lot of confidence in the jigging wraps and the blade baits is actually fishing it more in the summertime when those fish were on structure and, and feeding heavily. So adjusting yourself and getting out of your comfort zone a little bit can also be really effective. And particularly during that bait fish time, when you have a lot of, a lot of dying bait fish in the water in the fall, a jigging spoon is a, a great thing to shift to. If you're used to fishing a, a blade bait or a jigging wrap, just to get something a little bit different and throw something that not everyone else is throwing. Right. And if you use any of the three, the jigging wrap, the blade bait or a, or a spoon, don't be think you're limited to just walleyes. You're going to catch wipers, crappies, smallmouth bass. You don't catch as many largemouth. They tend to be tighter into structure, but it, it happens. But you'll also catch a number of catfish. Absolutely. I've seen the catfish in the wintertime actually at Pueblo and some of that little bit deeper water jump all over jigging wraps before. But people don't realize how much of a predator that, that catfish really is. They're not just eating stuff off the bottom. But a jigging wrap, I think I've caught more fish on a jigging wrap as far as species are concerned than any other lure that I have in my entire arsenal. Everything from from grayling to all your trout species, lakers, walleyes, bass, wipers, crappies, the whole nine yards. Well, you know, we get to a couple, like you said, confidence baits. And I always used to tell the guys at Berkeley that said if it hadn't been for the smoke sparkle three-inch grub and a and a seven-inch blue fleck worm, I might not have had a fishing career. But <laughs> Well, funny how that goes, and, and that's something to play off of as well. You know, I mentioned getting away from your confidence, but sometimes not doing that same thing is, is important as well. You're absolutely right. Real quick, what are you seeing up on the high country as far as fly fishing or, or even locally? Are you hearing much there? Fly fishing has been great. So down at Deckers, are still holding really solid flows up in the mid-250, you know, 250-plus. Uh, so that bite has been really good. Still starting to see some betas coming off there and 11 Mile Canyon both. Uh, some of your your spawning runs have started for the kokanee salmon. Hearing some some up above the Dream Stream right now, or in the Dream Stream up above 11 Mile, as well as as I mentioned Blue Mesa. But your Freestone rivers are fishing absolutely amazing right now. So if anyone has uh, the thought to want to go fish the Colorado River, whether it be up higher toward partial or down lower toward Pump House or even down toward Radium. Um, everything has been absolutely fantastic up there, whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing. You can throw, you know, little small jerk baits or, you know, doing any of your your stone flies have been productive streamers, particularly starting to see some betas hatches as well there. Hopper droppers. Up, Hopper droppers. Yeah, 
Yep, and what was interesting up there too, uh, sage grouse hunting yesterday, is we did see a lot of hoppers still around. So they it's still way in play right now. So we're going to start to see, you know, a little bit of cold weather uh, that might kill a few of those off. But for the next, uh, you know, a couple of weeks here, it's going to still be good for some of those hoppers. We really got to move on. We're going to go to the parks and wildlife. We're going to talk about chronic wasting disease. We will give that plenty of time, folks. But I wanted to take advantage of having Austin on. Last thing you mentioned the kokanee, and they start to run. If you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we actually did a fly fishing show for Kokanee coming out of Blue Mesa, catch and release. And that could be some of the most fly fi- fun fly fishing you'll ever do rather than snagging them or even conventional. It's just a great way to fish. Austin, we better let you go. Um, i got to get to the next segment. But thanks for all the great information, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you, Terry. I certainly appreciate you having me on. All right. That's Austin Parr. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back, we're going to talk about chronic wasting disease. And even though we're running a little late, we're going to give plenty of time to this because it's very a very important topic with big game season in full swing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And by the way, Nate Zielinski will be doing a elk hunting seminar there uh the 22nd 21st karen tuesday it is 21st on tuesday we will talk more about that at the top of the next hour let's go right to the phone so talking about elk hunting and i hope patiently waiting i apologize we ran over but we're going to give lots of time we got time for all our upcoming segments so we'll cover everything but joining us is jason clay and we're going to talk about chronic wasting disease good morning jason Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having us on. Thanks. Again, thanks for being patient. I just thought Austin was so full of some great information. I wanted to make sure we got it out. But what what we have to talk about here, too, is very important. Um, CWD, chronic wasting disease, has been around the state for quite some time. I think most people at least have heard of it. Why don't you, I know we're going to get into why the testing and what, what we see, but give us a little background in history. Yeah, so... Colorado Parks and Wildlife and our biologists have been uh, on the forefront of CW research since it was first identified here in Colorado in the 1960s by university scientists in the research facilities west of Port Collins. So um, the disease kind of was discovered here. And in that time since then, it's become of growing concern across Colorado. So just briefly, chronic wasting disease, the fatal neurological disease that is found in uh, deer, elk, and moose is spreads through direct or indirect contact um, between the animals. And the disease agent, or prions, they're present in the saliva, the feces, carcass parts of the infected animals. And one of the important things to know, too, is that these prions can stay in the soil for long periods of time, which is why it's really important for us to monitor and control the herds in the infected areas. Now, one of the reasons we're going to talk about both mandatory and voluntary testing here in just a minute, because it is a great tool for you guys to not only tell what the status of that animal is, but to identify problem areas in the state and to make sure people are, you know, if we haven't had any transmitted disease. We'll talk about that, but we keep the public safe. Are there some areas that seem to be a little more troublesome than others? And some, can we identify some, or is that on the website somewhere? Yes, it is on the website, and I think our hunters this year are seeing it through the mandatory test stations, um, or excuse me, a mandatory testing unit. So if you harvest deer in rifle season, 
um, you would have received communication that you are in a mandatory unit. Um, the location of those, a lot of them are on the kind of east of I-25, but it's not secluded of that. The northeast region of the state is one area where we're seeing increasing prevalence rates, but we also see it up in the, in the northwest, too, or down kind of in the south central in the Colorado Springs area or some of the areas where we're seeing the prevalence rates increase and our kind of threshold that we work off. So we break up the state into different, we call them GMUs, game management units, and that's how we kind of define the, the units of the state uh, for our herd management plans. And so if we start to see our, uh, the prevalence rates when they go above 5%, then that's kind of our threshold um, that, that we look at when, okay, maybe management um, plans are needed for, for those units, or if it gets really high or, or is we notice it, that it's increasing, that, that's when we go and require the mandatory testing. And that mandatory testing is for your, uh, for your deer, your bucks and does. Now, if you, if you do have mandatory testing or if you do see an area that seems troublesome, are the, what are the mitigation efforts? Are some, of them, are some of them maybe to allow bigger harvest to reduce contact or is there other things? What, do you, what are the primary mitigation uh, tools? Well, the biologists and wildlife officers, they come together and they monitor. Well, they do the, the population surveys, so they have an idea of the performance of the herds. They look at the prevalence rates in those areas. Um, if they're increasing, decreasing, they can increase tags in an area, decrease tags in an area, dependent on, you know, the performance of that herd. So if the herd is really dying off, um, you know, maybe there are less tags. If the populations are doing well, maybe there's more tags when they factor in the CWD component. Um, and that's when they go to the, the mandatory testing. So we can continue to identify what is the trend of that herd and where it's going, and especially as it relates to disease. Is it spreading? Is it getting worse? Um, or is it potentially, um, you know, getting better as far as the, uh, the transmission across the herd? Now, tell, explain to everybody the logistics of the testing, how it takes place and what you do. Yeah, so you take in your the head of your deer into um, – one of the, the units across the state that, that does the, uh, the checkpoints for the testing. Um, so from, from there, uh, you want to take in the head when it is uh, cool, uh, but not frozen. And our units will take the lymph nodes out of the, the neck and the head area and send those into our health lab where they will then be tested. Now, if, um, if it's mandatory, if I'm in an area, I have to do that. Now, the CDC, now, there's never been a recorded transmitted case to humans. Is that right? That is correct. But the CDC does recommend not eating the flesh from an infected animal. So if you're concerned, if you harvest an animal you think might be in one of those areas, or you just want to be 100% no, there is voluntary testing available, too. Is that for deer, elk, and moose all, or just deer? No, nope. you can do the you can do the voluntary testing for all three species: your deer, elk, and moose. Um, is and the, some is of the, those. I was just going to say, is the process the same, and is there a fee? The process is the same. Uh, pulling the lymph nodes so they can send send those in for testing at the health lab. 
Um, there is a fee dependent on where you um, are at and your type of hunting. So um, hunters who harvest a deer in any GMU, other than those that are listed as mandatory, um, can submit those for a $25 fee per animal. Um, now, that being said, hunters who harvest uh, a deer during the seasons other than rifle season, so your muzzleloader, your archery, um, some of your, your youth game damage vouchers, um, if they harvest those in the mandatory units but they're not using the rifle, they can submit those for free mandatory testing. Um, but your your elk or moose, if you're submitting those, um, that would be a, just a $25 processing fee per animal. So uh, anybody can submit their animal if they want to be sure uh, for CWD testing and dependent on the species or where you're at, that there may or may not be a small fee associated with it. Now, last thing, we'll only take about 30 seconds because I want to move on to the next segment. Uh, where, where's our confidence level that we're, we're able to mitigate this problem? Well, you know, it goes back to being on the, on the forefront. Um, chronic waste and disease management is not a short-term um, project. It is a, one of long-term. We have a 15-year monitoring program uh, that was set forth in 2018 and approved by our commission in 2019. So, it is a, a long-term uh, management plan that we have to monitor it, stay on top of it. Um, so that's that's what we're trying to do is really stay on top of it and understand the trend. It's not something that can be eradicated. But it looks like we've done a pretty good job. We're talking to 5% of the population. You know what? Uh, we are way out of time, Jason, but that's all great information, so timely at this time of the year. Thank you so much for joining us and getting that message out. Yeah, thank you for helping us get it out. All right, that's uh, Jason Clay from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're running behind, but I guarantee you we're going to make it up because we're going to take you when I come back down to Pueblo Reservoir, and there's a bunch of events down there. It's a great place. All that and more coming up in Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Well, you're nailing the bumper music again. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And after being severely chastised during the break by my wife and producer, Karen, I have to correct something I said last. Uh, Nate's seminar at Sun Power Sports on elk hunting is October 1st. I kind of babbled some dates that were wrong, and uh, she bust in the studio and kind of undressed me about it, so I had to correct that. Anyway, let's go right to the phones. We always have a good time here. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite places in the state, and that's Pueblo Reservoir. And joining us is Noel Diamond. Good morning, Noel. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. And actually, I recently got married, so I have a different last name now. And what would that be? Let's tell everybody. <laughs> My new last name is Zant. All right. Well, congratulations. So Thank I, you. All right. So anyway, um, you're down at Pueblo Reservoir, and there's lots of activity. I know there's an event coming up you want to talk about, but let's kind of fill people in. There's always new people to the state. Why don't you tell them where Pueblo Reservoir State Park is located and kind of describe the park? Um, so Pueblo Reservoir is located um, in Pueblo, Colorado. Um, basically, it's a diversity hotspot. We see tons of visiting raptors that come through here, visiting insects. Um, we have tons of really cool geology. So we get lots of uh, researchers that come out here to check it out. It's also a fishing hotspot. Um, not only do we have the reservoir, we also have the 
Arkansas River that flows through. So tons of fly fishermen come out here and lake fishermen. And, uh, of course, you have campgrounds. How many campsites do you know? There's a number, a lot of campsites out there. Yeah, we have over 400 campsites, and that includes um, electric and non-electric. And one of the neat things about Pueblo is just about everything goes on year-round down there. You're, you have campsites open year-round, and there's your boat ramps stay open year-round. I think you're the only lake or one of the few that has boat access year-round, weather permitting, in Colorado. So that that's also good. Speaking of boating, what are your water levels like? You know, last year, the last few years, Pueblo's been high, and we had a great water year, so I'm assuming the water levels are very good yet. Is that the case? Yeah, um, and actually, since we've had good good water years since 2015, um, I checked it yesterday. We're about uh, 48.69 in elevation right now, and about in a week, we'll probably drop another foot. But that's still very, very high for you guys and really good water, boat ramp access. This makes for a very large body of water. Have you heard, uh, you know, there's lots of activities. We're going to get into the trails and some of the other activities in a minute because we don't talk about those enough. But let's touch on the fishing real quick. It is one of the premier fisheries in the state, both the Arkansas River below the dam and the lake itself. Have you heard much about the fishing? Yeah, fishing's been doing pretty good, and actually with the temperatures dropping now, it's going to get even better. Um, We're seeing less activity out on the water as well, which is also good, so we'll probably start seeing more fish. And any particular species they seem to be showing up? Um, Honestly, we have a wide variety. If you're fishing the river, you're mostly going to find trout. If you're fishing the lake, um, anywhere from bass, um, we get some walleye out there, wiper. All right. Well, you got an event coming up. Let's talk about that. So, yeah, so um, on September 28th, um, there's two kind of things that coincide with each other. Um, so we have Bike Your Park Day, and it's also uh, National Public Lands Day. And so what will be happening at the park on those days? So, yeah, so we'll have um, Still City Cycle Club. They're going to be coming out. Um, they're biking from Pueblo to the park. Uh, I'm not sure how many miles they're biking, but um, they're coming to do a service project. So they'll be cleaning up the Rock Canyon area, um, picking up trash, stuff like that, just to give back to the community and to the parks. Um, National Public Lands Day is kind of a day that where, where they want to connect people to nature through service and so um the adventure cycling association is the one who kind of puts on that bike to your park day now is that open to uh, people to join in yeah definitely usually we get a lot of those um cycling clubs that contact me and say hey we want to do a service project with our state park or our national park um i believe national public lands day so that september 28th uh, national parks do offer free entry. Unfortunately, state parks haven't jumped on the free entry yet, but national parks do have that. Well, uh, technically, most bikers don't pay an entry when they bike into the park anyway, do they? That's correct. So with most state parks, bicyclists get in free. Um, there are a select few of state parks where a bicyclist does actually have to pay a small fee. Um, I think El Dorado Canyon is one of those state parks. Now, when you're coming out to Pueblo, I've talked a lot about the fishing down there. It's a really great place. In fact, I have 
people want to know more, go to my, uh, just Google the Denver Post. You can read some of my articles. But uh, Pueblo also has a large landmass. We talk about biking and stuff. The state park isn't just a lake. You have a lot of land and trails, don't you? That's correct, yeah. This is a big multi-use park, uh, one of the largest state parks in Colorado. And, shoot, we see people from all over coming to visit. Um, Actually, our bike trails are a big hit. Um, They're right behind our Arkansas Point campground. We also have the uh, Southern Colorado Trail Builders who actually help volunteer their time and to maintain those trails. They've created this really awesome map that has color-coded um, by how hard it is. So they have immediate, intermediate, um, and difficult. So and, it's, and, it's pretty awesome. And how would somebody find access to that map? Um, so I don't think the map is online. Um, you might be able to find it on the Southern Colorado Trail Builders Facebook page maybe. Um, and then you can always visit our visitor center um, usually park rangers keep them in their vehicles, so if you see a park ranger, might be able to give you one. I always keep a stack with me because people are always asking for them. And then what about other activities on the land? You probably get some small game hunting out there, too. Yeah, so um, actually around this time, um, we do get a lot of people calling in about reports of, oh, I saw someone with a gun. Um, so I always try to make it a point to let people know, yeah, this is a multi-use park. We do allow hunting in designated areas. Um, we only allow shotgun and archery, though, um, and that's really because we have so many trails out here and stuff like that. But hunting is allowed. Um, we do have a hunting map, which you can find online um, and, again, at the Visitor Center. All right. Well, we've got to go, but if people want more information on your uh, Clean the Park and Bike Day, is that on your Facebook or web page? Yeah. Yeah, that should be on our Facebook page. All right. Well, Noel, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. You bet. That's Noel from Pueblo State Park. Now, I'll tell you another thing right now. Pueblo, what's going to be going on fishing-wise down there? We're going to get into fall fall fishing down there. I wrote, um, well, I wrote an article for Walleye Insider Magazine in the 90s, and I wrote some chapters in the Critical Concept book for walleyes uh, for in fishermen in the books. And I used Pueblo as one of my examples. You may have heard Austin and I talking about earlier about how prolific the jigging bike can be down there and how predictable. Now, no fishing is guaranteed, but when the shads start getting stressed, now the white lake is high, the water temperatures will take a while, but when those water temperatures start dropping rapidly, the shad will get stressed and those shad will start to die and flutter down. The walleyes, the catfish, the smallmouth bass, the crappies are going to gather under those balls of shad and wipers, of course. And you find those and use a jigging spoon. A lot of guys now are using jigging wraps and blade baits. I use the jigging spoon. You can probably find that article in In Fisherman's Archives. And it would be just a phenomenal bite. And those fish got so tuned on to that jigging spoon bite. Tom Bruno and I were out there with a third party. And the, we could see the fish down below on the depth finder. We could see the bait. We took a, a shiner about the same size as those bait fish, pinned it on a weight and a hook, and put it down in those fish. They continued to hit the spoons and paid no attention to the shiner. 
That's how focused they get on those fluttering bait fish. So it's going to happen on a lot of our lakes around here. I'll do more on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll get you tuned into that. We'll take a quick time out, and we got more outdoors coming on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. In just a a few minutes, Matt Ensley is going to join us from on the water at Chatfield, I believe. We'll get an up-to-date report there. But a couple things I want to talk about real quickly. Uh, Follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I am lining up some prizes. We're going to do some contests. Um, I haven't got things in place yet to announce them. But typically when we do these contests, we put a trivia answer on the Facebook page very difficult a lot of times to get the answer right during the show if you haven't seen it on Facebook. And if you follow or like us, you'll get that before the show and you'll be ready to go, right? Also, uh, it's been a crazy season. We're going to keep talking about that. It's going to start catching up and normalize, but we're going to help you keep your playbook, whether you're fishing, hunting, camping, or, or uh, whatever you're doing outdoors kind of in line or just watching the leaves. Everything's changing at a different pace and it's kind of location by location. So timing of the seasons is a little different this year. We're going to get into that along with the fall bite. It's not the traditional fall bite at each of our lakes. Some of them are a little closer to tradition. Some of them are uh, way behind and fishing a lot differently. So we're going to bring you up to speed on that. A few things that uh, that I do see going on. Uh, one thing is uh, the hopper dropper bite on the river's uh, I know when I was talking to Austin, he said the hoppers are starting to dissipate with the cold weather. But uh, Kirk Dieter is going to join me in the second hour. He's the editor of Trout Magazine. And I'll bet when we talk about hopper dropper, he'll tell you that those trout remember that hopper dropper a long time after those hoppers go away. I love hopper dropper fishing because I can splash it down. I don't have to make a precision, delicate cast, which I'll admit I'm not the most accomplished fly caster in the world, but I can, I can put a dropper below it and uh, I can even make a little bit of bad movement when I'm mending because the hoppers tend to do that and fish it very effectively. We're going to see the browns and the kokanees taken off. And a lot of this fishing, when I talk about it, uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom, you're going to see that we have about 120 episodes up there. We're going to be adding more. Now these are legacy shows from the past, but about half of them were filmed right here in the region. And they give you insights into this fishing that are still very valuable. So go take a look at that, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and pick out some episodes. There's also a lot of destination pieces there. We'll take you to Alaska or Florida or something like that, you know, just to Costa Rica, and show you some, some exotic places to go that are just fun. A lot of Minnesota trips. We just do a lot of, a lot of stuff, so check that out. Uh, our Facebook page and YouTube, of course, our social media. And we, if you're listening to this show and you're driving and you want to hear something that you kind of missed here, we podcast a lot of everything we do here. If you go to 104.3 The Fan and then you, uh, 104.3 The Fan, go to the menu, go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, there's podcasts for the last several weeks right there on the right-hand side of the page. And then you can click and go back and back and search through them. And you can find that podcast and replay it. Also, I'm going to start picking podcasts out every week that I think are very pertinent, that are so timely we need to get them out there. Last week I did Nate Zielinski's Elk Stalking 
or uh, scouting seminar. You should go to the page and listen to that. If you're into elk hunting, it was incredible, the information he shared. We're going to do stuff like that every week on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And go there and just scroll through and see the kind of things we do. We're going to take a quick time out just to identify the station. We come back. Matt Ensley is going to join us from on the water, and we'll talk fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.